0: So, a dynamical system is a system that doesn't have like a simple causal um, relationship because it has feedback loops. Mm-hmm. So, if I pick up this mug and I and I move it, why did it move? I caused it to move, mm-hmm. right? But what causes a tree to grow? Mm-hmm. It's it's not so easy, right? Because yeah. it's like the tree the grows tree. the leaves. <laughs> The Leaves capture the sun, the sun feeds the tree, which allows it to grow the leaves, right? Yeah, which comes first the chicken or the egg, the acorn or the oak tree, right? Like you have <laughs> the these egg. feedback loops. And I got an much answer for compliant. that it's the egg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never That's mind, i put that aside. Yeah, I got a rant. On I, 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 yeah, phylogenetically, it's the egg, but <laughs> it, but trying to answer the question at the phylogenetic yeah, level yeah. shows that you misframed the question, <laughs> but um. <laughs> But, Fair enough. But okay, so so when you learn, um, you're you're engaging in these feedback loops, right? And you have an inherent drive and capacity to learn. So if we treat it as a linear process, it doesn't really work. And there's all sorts of there's all sorts of points at which treating we we tend to treat movement as if people were machines and they're not, and this tends to fail. Um, and so it's one example of the, develop, the development and kind of understanding of, of dynamical systems comes through motor learning, and specifically the work of Nikolai Bernstein. Mm. So Bernstein discovered that if you if you um, look at an experienced um, blacksmith, the path that the that the hammer takes to the the thing they're hitting is highly variable on every cycle. Mm. And in fact, you can sometimes see more variability in the path to the the effect. So there's a, there's more jargon here, but they talk about effectors and effects. The effector is the thing that makes the thing happen, right? And the effect is what we're trying to have happen. So if the effect that you want is to shoot a basketball, right? You mm. want or the basketball to go through the hoop. You want that that thing to be consistent. Oh, I see. Make that thing consistent by making everything that led up to it consistent. It turns out that's not how we actually work if you're if you're building a machine you want those tolerances to be as tight as possible but we actually um have this this element of dynamics where you're trying to attune all these variable things that are coming together to create the output so if you look at steph curry who's the best three-point shooter yeah. in history he actually has more diversity of muscle activation patterns to achieve his shot than anybody else. Yeah, it's not like a, it's not a machine. It's not a robot. It's it's, it's different every time. All. It's every time sensitive to the situation he's in. Yeah. And and Bernstein lays out why this has to be the case in um, in this. He he lays out two fundamental problems. One is the degrees of freedom problem, and the other is the con- uh, um, condition. Of, blanking on the word but um context conditioned variability so if steph shot like a robot where it was exactly the same every time he would he would miss almost every time because the context would be different every time Mm. is his body moving forwards is it moving backwards is it moving side to side is it rotating did he get bumped in the air how tired are his legs Mm. right is it the third quarter is it the fourth quarter did he just sprint up the court did just have a defensive play right? All those things are variable. So he actually has to utilize the, this motor abundance, this capacitive body to have lots of different solutions to reach the same effect. It's the same thing with the blacksmith. So what we find is that there's, um, in motor learning, when they talk about positive and negative variation. So there's variation that takes you away from the solution. So if you're shooting a basketball or doing a precision jump, everything that doesn't result in you controlling the precision jump or the basketball, good that's negative variation so novices will be higher in negative variation Mm. than than Mm. elites but there's also variation that actually stabilizes the performance so the classic example that that um that i think is a really nice illustration of that is imagine you take two fingers and you're holding uh you're pushing a bar down you're supposed to push it down with uh let's say 10 newtons of force right so one solution to that is that both fingers are pushing down with um with five newtons of force right mm. if we were to tell you that is the correct solution you should always be doing that solution what we would actually be doing is preventing you from being able to use four and six and three and seven and two and eight and one and nine which are all positive variation mm. and because the reality is that sometimes one of your fingers is going to do like something weird is going to happen all of a sudden it's going to be at a four mm. you want to be able to adjust for that with the six that's that's the fluctuation so you have fluctuation or around your, your your motor solution so the way that we coach a lot is is over cueing and actually we end up trying to get rid of the fluctuators that mm. are actually important for stabilizing the performance wow. um so so yeah so that so then the way that we coach with the ball move play is very heavily influenced by what's called the constraint led approach so rather than saying this is the right way to do a Kong ball, we're going to teach you exactly how to do it and we're going to be like okay your hip is supposed to be here you need this angle of your shin you know you need to be your your whole body needs to be below the height of the object you're going over at some point Mm. we think it's very likely that as coaches we're going to misidentify some of those elements or that they're going to be variable from athlete to athlete like what is the optimal width from between the, um, front foot and the back foot on a con ball? Yeah. It depends on your skeleton that, probably a little bit, right? Yeah. Is that and your is height that, and you everything, know, the height of the wall, the thickness, everything, the texture, all of it, all the variables. Exactly. The play, like so. the, are you on sand? Are yeah. you on hard <laughs> surf, uh, turf? Are you on a gymnastics floor? Do you have broad shoulders and narrow hips? Do you have mm. narrow shoulders and broad hips? Do you have long legs proportionally? Do you have short legs proportionally, we're like, you should always be exactly two of your feet between your feet. When you do your takeoff, we're actually going to limit the athlete's ability to be adaptive. Mm-hmm. So instead of that, we try to introduce a circumstance in which the athlete can find a solution that, that is broadly the type of solution that we're looking for. Mm. So a really simple constraint that we've used is have an athlete. So one of the things that you'll see is that most, a lot of athletes will try to do at, uh, um, a punch takeoff, right? So, in, in motor learning theory we talk about this idea of uh of local optimums right so you can adopt a strategy that's not the op- that's not the optimal strategy but that's su- sufficiently good in a specific circumstance mm-hmm. so you'll see this a lot if well, would you uh, say also that it's problems. it is the optimal strategy in, in even rarer circumstances but it might yeah uh, there's lots of circumstances yeah. where you want to do a punch uh, takeoff. it's just yeah. not optimal for yeah. the broadest variety of sorry gymnastics. to nitpick, but I just wanted to clear. Yeah, that. <laughs> and, but but the thing is that I think for the most part it is actually optimal on a gymnastics floor. Mm. Right? You can you can you can utilize the bounce of the springs on a gymnastics floor better by punching hard off of it with both legs than by separating your legs. Mm. So lots yeah. of athletes learn their vaults first in gymnastics centers, or especially when we were coming, or when I was coming up back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. And so you you're going to adopt that local optimum, but then it's actually hard to get out of it. It destabilizes your performance to go and try to find that split foot takeoff. So I, I know guys who are very competent athletes who never learned to do a split foot, just because they always got worse whenever they tried to, mm. right? Mm-hmm. But so instead of like taking them through a ton of different drills, a simple way to do it is like have them step back a certain distance from it and say, okay. And make it a little bit of a stretch to get to the vault and just say, um, whichever foot they're going to have back, that foot can't go past a certain point and put a little marker on the ground. And then they'll find that they're going to be able to solve the problem better by sliding that other foot forward. Mm -hmm. And then they're going to learn to take off with their feet separated. So that's the example of how we can use a constraint to help them organize a solution. And then they're, they're able to find the variation within that solution that works for them.